everybody to Christmas at the movies. We want to take a moment and welcome all of our locations. We're glad that you're tuning in. Welcome everybody that's watching online and by television. God is going to speak to you in a special way. Would everybody please stand to your feet with me? Let's go ahead and make our declaration. Hold it up. Hold your Bible up. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get them to you. Hold it up nice and high. Say this out loud like you mean it with me. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all God's destined me to be. Amen, amen. If you would remain standing in honor of God's word, we are going to Matthew chapter number one. For those of you that are tuning in online, switch over to our church online platform. You'll be able to see all the video clips. If you're on Facebook or one of the other online uh, viewing um, uh, platforms, you won't be able to see the clips. So switch over there. You can go in the link below and it'll show you how to get there. Matthew chapter number one, verse number 18. The Bible says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, we saw in the opening clip that sometimes it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that Buddy's an elf, that he comes from the North Pole and that he knows Santa Claus and that Santa is real. It's hard to believe that your fiance is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and is carrying the Savior of the world into the world. And sometimes in life, it's also hard to believe. It's hard to believe that God's promises will come to pass when all of the circumstances scream otherwise. It's hard to believe that all things work together for the good when all things that are happening around you are not so good. It's hard to believe that God cares in the middle of life's struggles and setbacks. Let's face it, sometimes it's hard to believe. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, when it's hard to believe. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister to every single one of our hearts? Would you lift our faith? Would you encourage us and would you transform us into the image of your dear son, Jesus, our Savior? In his name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. One of the Christmas themes in Elf is restoring belief in Santa. Who is hard to believe in. It's, it's hard to believe that, that Santa exists. And to revitalize the Christmas spirit that has been lost so that Santa's sleigh can fly. 
Santa's sleigh had always flown by simply Christmas spirit, but there's a lack of Christmas spirit in the movie Elf. And so they had to create a turbine engine. It was called the Kringle 3000 to power Santa's sleigh so Santa could deliver all of his gifts. Well, as it would come to pass, the engine broke off right above New York City and Santa's sleigh crashed in Central Park, New York City. And, and so it was the task of Buddy the Elf to re, to fix the sleigh and he couldn't do it. So now he had the task to restore with the help of his brother Michael belief in Santa and the Christmas spirit so that Santa's sleigh could fly again and Christmas could be saved. The theme is to restore belief. Because sometimes it's hard to believe. And when you come to the original Christmas story, we find another situation that's, that's hard to believe. Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant, that he, she was faithful to him, that she had never known another man, and that it was the Holy Spirit who did that to her. And this is hard for Joseph to believe. Matter of fact, as we're going to see, it was probably sent him on tilt. And even before she told Joseph, it was hard for her to believe that indeed as this angel showed up, that she was picked of all of the people on the planet to be the one to carry the Messiah into the world. The Christmas story is filled with things that are hard to believe, especially for those that were living through that. And so she goes and she tells Joseph, amazingly, after she believes what the angel has to say, and he freaks and he's not having it and he's shocked and he's hurt and he's disappointed and, 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 and he loves her, but he doesn't want to make a public disgrace of her. So the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter one, verse number 19, because he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. By the way, when you're a righteous, child of God, you don't do tip for tat. Just because somebody wrongs you doesn't mean that you go after them. Notice the righteous behavior of Joseph. He feels as though he's been wrong, but instead of coming back out her, he deals with it quietly. That's how we as Christians are supposed to handle things like that, but that's an aside. But notice how hard it is for Joseph to wrap his brain around this. Sometimes in life, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that your family's going to be okay if you lose your job. It's hard to believe that you're going to be okay if you get bad news from the doctors. It's hard to believe that you're going to smile again if you lose a loved one. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Imagine what it was like for Joseph. God, I'm a carpenter. I like to make things fit, God. I square off the edges. I plumb the line. I measure twice so I can only cut once. And God, this doesn't fit. This doesn't add up. This defies everything I see, everything I know, everything I expected, everything I planned, everything I hoped. This has rocked my world. God, this is hard to believe. My faith is on the ropes. And just being honest, Lord, I'm having a bout with doubt. And this, my friends, is the enemy's end game. It's to bring us to a crisis of faith, to cause us to stop believing and to question ultimately our salvation. There are always two forces at work whenever there is a bout with doubt going on. There is God who is challenging us to keep trusting him, and then there's the enemy who is tempting us to question him. Listen to what the great apostle Paul had to say to his son Timothy in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6, He says, for I'm now ready to be offered. 
And the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. When Paul writes this, he's in a Roman dungeon awaiting execution for a crime that he didn't commit. Basically, the wicked emperor Nero had burned down all of Rome for the single purpose of building up a grander Rome and glorifying himself through it. But he needed a scapegoat. If the people knew that he had burned it down intentionally, they would have overthrew him. They may have killed him. And so he picked this sect of hated people known as the Christians to burn these great fire, to, to pin these great fires on. And Paul was arrested as the leader of this sect. And so he is in prison. By this time when he writes this, his trial had gone on far enough. He knows that he's about to be executed. And he writes these words. And these words are really an exulting cry of a dying conqueror who has gone through so much to advance the gospel. But through it all, he has kept the faith. He has been beaten. He has been whipped. He has been jailed but he's kept the faith. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been left for dead, but he's kept the faith. He's been robbed, lied about, often lonely, but kept the faith. He's been hungry, weary, sometimes cold and naked, but kept the faith. It was hard for Paul to believe, but he kept the faith. Paul's words in this passage, 2 Timothy 4, are both an encouragement and a revelation to us. A revelation to us that the enemy is after our faith. And not just our own individual faith, but the faith or our faith in Christ for salvation. Our faith in the Savior of the world being the one who has rescued us for our sins and being the only way for us to get to heaven. The truth of the matter there is the real battle is not for your health. The real battle is not for your wealth. The real battle is, is not for your, for your financial prosperity. The real battle is not even for your marriage. The real battle is not for any of those things that we are fighting for on a regular basis. The real battle is for your faith. And those are the things that the enemy uses to try to discourage you and get you in a situation where it's hard to believe. This is the battle. The battle to believe. That the movie Elf is is really one of the themes that's in it. And my contention is that when it's hard to believe, that's when we need our faith the most. When it's hard to believe. And so what do we do to keep the faith when it's hard to believe? Well, one of the ways the enemy steals or stops our faith is through identity confusion. Buddy the Elf struggled with this in the movie. Check it out. It's the latest scheme of the enemy that has boiled over in our society. Under the guise of acceptance, we have now lost all sense of common sense. We now have over 20 pronouns to describe who and what we are. It's now politically incorrect to call somebody a he or she by the way they look. Job applications have adapted. School curriculums have adapted. TV shows have adapted. Children's books have adapted. To be clear, every person 
regardless of their identity struggles, is a creation of Almighty God to be loved, cared for, and treated kindly. We don't take aim at people for the identity problems that are pervasive in this generation. But we do take aim at the enemy who is trying to steal people's sense of self in order to stop their salvation through Christ. In other words, the way to be saved is to realize that you are a creation of Almighty God, that you came from God, that God is the one created you. And what the enemy tries to do is to steal our sense of self-identity, confuse people so that ultimately they question their belief. Their salvation is either stolen or their salvation is either forfeited. See, when we realize that we are creations of Almighty God, Genesis chapter 1, 27, listen to what the Bible says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Listen carefully, friends. Male and female, he created them. You are not the result of random chance or an uncaused explosion. You are not an accident or a product of evolution. You are not a descendant of an ape or a full-grown amoeba. You are creation of Almighty God made in His image and in His likeness. You are a male or a female. You are not an it, an A, an M, a Zai, a Zim, or a Zer. You are not any one of those things. You are a creation of Almighty God, and because you are, you deserve you human dignity, human kindness, and you have eternal value. And this world needs to hear that. This is where our value comes from. Our value doesn't come from what we look like. It doesn't come from the color of our skin. It doesn't come from the size of our pocketbook. It doesn't even come from our sexual identity. Our value comes from understanding that we are creations of Almighty God. And the enemy is trying to cause identity confusion because he wants to make it hard for people to believe. But when you understand that you are a creation, of Almighty God, you now understand you are a masterpiece. And that's the big problem is people don't realize how valuable they are the way that God created them. Psalm 139 verse 13. David says this, he says, you made all the delicate inward parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. So I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I were born. When you understand that you are a, you are a creation of Almighty God, you understand that you are a marvelous workmanship masterpiece that means who am i what am i where did i come from am i valuable am i important do i matter yes 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 and yes you are how do i know that because you are god's marvelous workmanship this means you are a masterpiece of the master creator that's where your identity and that's where your value comes from all this other stuff is satan's attempt to mess people up. There's a famous story about Michelangelo that reveals this truth to us. 
1463, the city of Florence, Italy, commissioned a sculptor to carve a giant statue for their magnificent church. The sculptor was given a 19-foot white slab of marble to work on during transport. The marble was cracked, and the sculptor said there was nothing they could do with that piece of marble and asked for another one. Both the city and the church denied giving him another piece, and so the cracked piece of marble laid there useless for 13 years. They finally convinced somebody else to try, and this other artist came along, and they tried to do something with it, but they couldn't. And so now it laid 38 years, this cracked piece of marble. Along 38 years later came a master artist, not yet known, but the master artist he was nevertheless. And he took on the project and he said he could work with, with the cracked piece of marble. The artist was known to, to walk around whatever he was carving his, his statues from for days on end, just looking and looking and looking and looking before he even started to chisel. Well, this artist was Michelangelo. And Michelangelo walked around that cracked piece of marble. They thought he lost his mind. But after days of walking around it, he began to chisel and chisel and chisel. And he made one of the greatest pieces of art the world has ever known from that cracked piece of marble, the David. See, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that you remain in life a cracked piece of marble until you understand that you are the workmanship of a master artist and his name is Almighty God and he's the Savior, Jesus Christ. He crafted you. He made you. That's where you get your identity from. And when your identity rests in him, no devil in hell can steal who you are from you. Matter of fact, Mary... And the first Christmas story finds her identity in Jesus Christ. You remember what she said, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, the essence of who I am, it magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded, check this out, the lowly estate of his main maidservant. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. Did you notice when Mary put her soul in God? When she said, my soul magnifies, my soul is connected to God. She went from lowly estate to blessed, from overlooked to important, from meaningless to masterpiece. This is what happens when we connect people with their creator and help them to understand you are a creation of almighty God, a masterpiece. God created you. God has a plan for your life. Matter of fact, when we understand that we are a masterpiece created by God, we understand also we have a purpose People get swallowed up by Satan and they feel because they feel like their life is meaningless. But when you realize that you're a creation of Almighty God and you understand you have a purpose, you, uh, then you understand you have a purpose. Why? Because purpose always precedes creation. What did Michelangelo do before he even attempted to begin to chisel the marble? He walked around it for days. What was he doing? In his mind, he was saying, I, I need this to look like this. And here's what the picture I have of what I want this marble to look like. And he got the idea in his mind. And he got the thought in his mind of the what he wanted from that piece of marble. And then when the idea was birthed in his mind and his heart, he then produced that idea in the form of what he created. See, we need to understand that purpose always precedes creation. Before you and I were ever formed in our mother's womb, God decided what? 
what the purpose for which he wanted you to be on the planet. And then he put you in your mother's womb. He gave you a purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I was formed, before you formed me in the womb, I, you knew me. Before I was born, you sanctified me. And you ordained me to be a prophet unto the nations. Notice this. Before days, there was destiny. Before days, there was destiny. Destiny, purpose, always precedes the arrival of anybody on the planet. Why? Because we are a creation of Almighty God. And God doesn't create just to create. God creates on purpose. And by stealing from people, it has been the biggest lie propitiated in the history of mankind. It began as evolution, and now it has morphed into you are no longer a he or a she. And it is the enemy at work. Church, it's the enemy at work trying to snuff out what God had created. Somebody, I shared with somebody that I was going to share some of this, and they said, Pastor, you're crazy. They will cancel you. They will turn you off Facebook. You know what we need? We need more preachers who are going to preach the word of Almighty God to a broken generation. And that's not more mean preachers. The world doesn't need mean preachers. Because I'll tell you something, I'll be the first one who will fight for anybody that's confused or anybody that feels this way or that way because they are creations of Almighty God. That's not the point. The point is not to be mean. The point is to rescue people and help them to understand they are masterpieces of Almighty God. And this is how the enemy tries to stop us. Second principle to believe when it's hard to believe is keep the faith in hope. One of the ways the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy our faith is to make us feel hopeless. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 12, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Hope deferred plants confusion in the heart. Hope deferred creates despair in the heart. Hope deferred ultimately causes us to question our faith. Matter of fact, look at the link between faith and hope. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse number 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you don't have, faith, if you don't have hope, you can't have faith. And so what does the enemy do? He creates hopelessness and despair and despondency in the life of people. Why? If they are hopeless, they cannot make the leap to faith. I've shared this before, but there's a Duke University University study done on rats to prove the importance of hope. It took these rats and they put them in this, this glass container where there was no way that they could swim out. It was filled with water. And the rats swam and swam for a little while. As soon as they figured out there was no way to get out, they they duck their heads and drown themselves. Then they took another set of rats and they put them in a glass container similar with water in it. But it was hard to get out, but not impossible to get out. And what those rats did is they swam and they swam and they swam and they swam. And the reason why they died is not because they drowned themselves, but their heart exploded. In other words, while they realized there was hope, they kept going. And what they prove is not what you and I say all the time, where there's life, there's hope. They prove the opposite, where there is hope, there is life. And so what the enemy tries to do is the enemy comes along, and what does he do? He tries to steal our hope, because if he could steal our hope, he steals our faith. See, we don't need to be hopeless That's the enemy's plan for our life to drag us down. Let me give you perhaps the greatest key. 
how to overcome or how to keep faith in hope. And to set that up, I want you to see Buddy in his moment of despair. Check this out. Buddy was almost swallowed up in despair until when he talked to Santa. Here's the key to keeping the faith and hope. It's talking to Jesus. What are you going to do when now that all this confusion is around you? Someone might ask, I'm going to talk to Jesus. What are you going to do now that you've been disappointed? I'm going to talk to Jesus. What are you going to do now that you face this tragedy? I'm going to talk to Jesus. What are you going to do now that you had this unexpected event? I'm going to talk to Jesus. See, the source of our hope, the source of keeping the faith in hope is anchoring our hope to Jesus. He is the reason for hope, the wellspring of hope, the genesis of hope, the author of hope. I like what the old song says, my hope is built on on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Keep your hope in Jesus. Anchor it to Jesus. Most of us know the song Amazing Grace, but we, don't not, we do not know the story behind the song. John Newton was born in 1725. He was a young man, and he was a sailor in the British Royal Navy. His time in the military didn't go well. It was not successful. He even got involved in the deplorable slave industry and committed every possible sin. His life was headed in the wrong direction, but all that changed on March 10th, 1748, when at the age of 23, he was almost killed in a storm off the coast of Ireland. And in his despair and deplorableness, he cried out to the God of hope, Jesus Christ, and his soul was gloriously saved and his life was changed. He spent the rest of his life serving God, and in 1788, he joined William Wilberforce to end slavery. He is not remembered for his transformation or his fight against slavery he was, that he was once involved in, but he is remembered for the song that he composed as he looked back on how God had gloriously saved his life, how the God of hope, Jesus Christ, gloriously saved his life, and he famously penned the words, who saved a wretch like me. What did he do? He anchored his hope to Jesus How do you keep faith and hope? You anchor your hope to Jesus in the real Christmas story. That's what Joseph did. Mary tells Joseph she's pregnant, that the Holy Spirit did it to her. It's hard for him to believe it. He's not buying it. He storms off. He's experiencing the pain of being a jolted lover. His engagement is ruined. He feels betrayed. His world is turned upside down. His hope meter has flatlined, and he's on life support. What does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 1, our text, verse 20. But after he, notice his phrase, considered this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. What does this mean? He considered this. This is talking to Jesus. 
Do you know how, how we consider stuff as Christians? We don't consider stuff by wringing our hands. We don't consider stuff by, by worrying about it, by, by constantly talking about how bad things are. You know how we consider stuff as Christians? We talk to Jesus. We take it to the Lord in prayer. I want to encourage somebody right now, if you are overwhelmed with hopelessness, take it to Jesus. Don't pray about some things. Pray about everything. It's like the old song says, what a friend I have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Not some things, but everything. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are you talking to Jesus? Because that's how. You get pulled out of despair. He knows just what to tell you. He knows just what you need to hear, when you need to hear it, how you need to hear it. Joseph considered this. He talked to God in prayer. If you do the same in your time of need, he will rescue you from that place of hopelessness. And this brings me to my last point. Keep the faith in Jesus. Santa's sleigh won't fly. But he tried to fix the Kringle 3000, but couldn't, couldn't get it going. And so what does he have to do? He now has to get everybody to believe in Santa, to get that Christmas spirit going so that Santa's sleigh can fly based on strictly belief in him. Watch this. Santa is what saved Christmas and Elf. But what will save you when it's hard to believe is keeping your faith in Jesus. Look at our text again as we close. Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to give his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place. To fulfill what was what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the end, what saved Joseph from Satan's attempt to sabotage his faith and steal salvation from all of humanity was faith in Jesus. Why? Because he was no ordinary baby. He was God manifest in the flesh, Emmanuel. And to take a page from Michael's book when he held up Santa's book. If I held up the Bible, I could tell you. The book tells me he was born of a virgin. Why? Had to be because sin comes from the Father. The book tells me he was born in a stable. Why? Had to be where else would a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth be born? The book tells me that in his birth, they brought him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Because he was a royal deity who would die for the sins of mankind. The book tells us about a sinless life, his sacrificial death, his supernatural resurrection. You might say to me, Pastor, that's fable. 
Pastor, that's made up. Listen to me. The Bible was written over 1,600 years by so many different authors. Many of them never knew each other. And some of them took the risk hundreds of years prior to the life of Jesus to write prophecies that were very specific about him. 300 prophecies to be exact. Somebody said, here is the probability of just eight of those 300 coming to pass. It would be 10 to the 17th power. That's how big the number would be. How big is that number? If you took silver dollars equal to that number and you spread them across the state of Texas, it would cover Texas two times two feet high. If you took one of those silver dollars, marked it with a marker, dropped it from a helicopter, and told a man to go and find that one quarter that was marked, that is the probability that eight of the 300 prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus would actually be fulfilled in Jesus. He didn't fulfill eight of the 300. He fulfilled every one of the 300. Even on the cross, he had one left. The one left on the cross was I thirst. And in the midst of the pain of the cross, he said, I don't want to be a 299 out of 300 God. I want to be a 100% God in every way. And so he shouted out, I thirst. He is where your hope comes from. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. He is your way maker. He is not a truth, your truth, or my truth. He is the truth. He is the way to get to heaven. He is the way to get connected to God. He is the way to be rescued from any situation. He is a faithful God. The Christmas story is not about belief in Santa. It's about belief in Jesus. The enemy comes into the life of humanity to steal only one thing. And no matter how he has to do it, he'll do it. He'll try. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I believe with all my heart that when we give our life to Jesus, he's able to keep us. That's what Christmas is all about. Where's your faith in Jesus? Is he just a holiday? Or is he holy? He alone, the Bible says, is holy. He's the holy God who came to save us from our sins. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, not only here, but at our campuses, not only at our campuses, but wherever you're watching from, are you right with Jesus Christ? This is not something that you just get automatically given to you. This is not something you get born into naturally. This is something you've got to choose to put your faith in. You have to come to the place in your life if you are going to spend eternity with God in a place called heaven where you say, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And I bow my knee and I open my heart to that Savior being Jesus Christ. Do you know where you stand with Jesus? If you were to die this moment or this second, would you wind up in heaven? apart from God in a place never created for you called hell. Hell is real. Heaven is real. Hell not created for you. Heaven created for you. The only thing that decides where you spend eternity is your faith in Jesus Christ. Are you right with Jesus? 
no one looking around. If you're here in this room, if you're at our campuses, if you're watching on online and you don't know Jesus, right where you are, just throw your hands up and say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus right now. Come on, do it right now if that's you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we give you honor in this place. We thank you for moving right now. Throughout this room, over the airwaves, in our campuses. Let's all say this prayer with me right now. Say it out loud. Heavenly Father, especially those of you that raised your hand, wherever you are. Heavenly Father, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sins. I make Jesus my personal Savior. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, welcome to the family of God. You are truly not just a masterpiece, but now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. We love you. And Usher will find you if you raised your hand. If you raised your hand, you're at one of our locations. Your campus pastors will find you. If you're online, push the button that has a hand in front of you or write Jesus in the chat and we'll reach out to you. Don't forget next week is the Christmas production. It's going to be awesome. We have a lot of them so we could serve as many people as possible um, just for the benefit of anybody who is concerned. We're still keeping everything socially distant. We have every other row. So come on out to the house of God and uh, God is going to move in a great way next week. We'll see you. God bless you.